during COVID, that all went away. We couldn't gather, we couldn't celebrate. So a lot of our, our opportunities to, to make people happy, you know, just disappeared in two days. I remember picking up the phone left and right, cancel, cancel, cancel in March of uh, 2020. I think it was March 15th and 16th. We saw, you know, millions of dollars go out of our company. Welcome to Fortune and Faith, a show about members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and how their faith influenced and oftentimes sustained them as they persevere through obstacles, failures, and challenges on their quest for success. I'm Jason Tang. Over the years, prophets of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints teach that every worthy, able young man should prepare to serve a full-time mission. Young women also receive encouragement to serve if they so choose, and together, these young adults prepare spiritually through their youth by taking to heart the gospel of Jesus Christ and learning God's love for his children. But there is a financial preparation to serving a mission that also needs consideration. Today, the cost of serving a mission is $12,000 for two years, or $500 a month. The missionary, the family, and loved ones typically fund this expense, and the time is purely volunteer with no financial compensation for their full-time service. And in today's episode, we are talking with Brady Westbrook, founder and CEO of Props AV, a full event production company in Beaumont, California. Brady begins his business as a teenager in the late 1990s using money he is saving to help pay for an LDS mission he plans to serve. I remember having $1,500 in a savings account at Redlands Federal Bank. Now it's called Citibank. But, and uh, the idea came after, you know, uh, going to some church dances and, and meeting one of my good friends, and- Andrew Terry, who actually got me into the DJing business when I was 16 years old. And I remember asking my dad if I could take this $1,500 out from my mission fund and being really nervous that he would say, no way, no how. Um, but I kind of put together a little business plan and my mom encouraged me, you know, explain to him what you want to do and tell him all the benefits of it. And I told him, you know, I could make upwards of this amount of money and it's something that I think would be good and, um, would keep me busy. And he immediately said, yes, I think that's a great thing for you to do. And I was shocked. I remember floored that he said no, or that he would, that he said, yes, I thought he would say no. Um, and I, my mom took me down to the bank and I still remember them pulling $1,500 bills out. And it was the most money that I had ever seen in my life. I was like, wow, my goodness. And uh, taking that money and then going to a local pawn shop and starting to buy, you know, a, a record player and a couple disc men at the time. Remember disc men back? Right. The evolution of the Walkman, <laughs> you know, and a tape player and anything that I could find, a little mixer. And um, I had at least the components together and uh, went back to my buddy Andy and uh, asked him. He was a good handyman and carpenter with his dad and asked him if he would help help me start to build speakers. So we started building our own speaker cabinets and uh, built our own our own speakers. I bought woofers and we put the woofers inside and made our base cabinets, you know, ridiculously large speakers that we thought were cool back in the 90s. And uh, that's how it all started. Was there any caveats to taking that money out did your parents say like hey if, if this doesn't work out you've got to do this or no you know there i don't remember any stipulations or or paybacks or anything like that they just thought just that, that was probably money well spent and invested into to giving their son a, an opportunity to to work it out and my dad you know was is pretty business savvy and um just having learned himself and he, he thought it would be good for me to to go out on my own and figure it out for myself what is it about the 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 DJ business that, that, that struck a chord with you, no pun intended there, but like you, you could have done a lot of things, but you decided, Hey, this is what I love to do. This is what I want to do. Why, why in, why in the music industry? 
but I remember from a very young age always loving music. I remember listening to the Beach Boys and um, the Beatles and the Kinks and uh, some of my mom's favorite bands, and I would just sit there and listen to the harmonies. I loved the creative process, that, uh, you know, especially in the Beach Boys. They were my favorite. Um, in the 90s, in 1998, when I started my business, that was the, the time of, of punk rock and, and hip-hop and um, early alternative rock and grunge and some of those types of things. Blink-182 was just happening at the time. That was a good time. So if you want to kind of think about uh, uh, music timeline, that's that's when I started. And um, the other day we were at this concert uh, uh, orchestra, and there's this moment as they're playing all this beautiful music and these amazing compositions, one of the uh, viola um, leads asked uh, for the clarinet player to play an E. She said, can you play me a quick E? And he played a note, an E, and she quickly got her violin in, in tune. And I realized um, that all music starts with a note. And with that note, once you learn A and B and C and D and E and F, and all the sharps and the flats, once you understand the basics of notes, can you start to put together sounds and the, uh, you know, the compositions that create music? And we all have that common language that we all love music. But um, at a young age, I remember just listening to the creativity that came and the harmonizations that came from music and uh, recognizing that all of this starts at very fundamental basic levels with principles um, is, is what I think has allowed me to be successful. And for me, there's no separation of church and state. I know um, oftentimes in society people want to separate those things um, out, but for me, the gospel is interwoven in, in, in business. There's no separating. It's just the way that things are. Truth is the way that things are. It's the way they were, the way they are, and then the way that they are to come. So there's no separating. It's the same thing with music, right? Is It all starts with a note, and this is the fundamentals of music, and as you put these notes together and, and learn the process, you can start to make some very beautiful things. And I think I was always fascinated with with music um, in, in that way. And then, of course, the collections and the hunting down of records and going to Hollywood to find records and, and learning to DJ and the skill, the process became, um, you know, the quest of learning how to be a good musician. But the love always came down, I think, from the principal level. So you've got, you know, your setup going, you've bought your yeah. equipment. But who's hiring a 16-year-old? Like, who, who, how do you so, get in your jobs? Like, yeah. Who, who, you're, yeah. You're brand so. new. It's... So what's really cool is I think this all started because we wanted to put together a 16, my 16th birthday. And we got all the house speakers in the neighborhood together. We put some lights out and we put out these flyers and there's going to be this, this, great, uh, this great party for everyone that was turning 16 at the time. Um, got my friend's music together and he ended up actually becoming my business partner, Nathan Thompson. His brother had the music collection. So you bring the music collection, I'll bring all the speakers that we can find and we threw a party. And uh, because it was... Uh, so well received everyone that was turning 16 at the time said well can you do that party for us and we started you know doing everybody's sweet 16 birthday parties and then after that it was like well i wanted to um after we invested that 1500 dollars, i wanted to be able to do church dances and little did andy know i was probably he was you know helping me build cabinets to become his competition andrew terry who helped me build the my first speaker cabinets um he helped me do um, church dances and he was doing church dances across town and in, in Highland and I was started doing church dances over here but I remember even at that age the the lesson that I learned uh, the moment that I would do a job I would immediately take 10% and pay my tithing and that was something that even was taught when you were 16 when I was 16 years old and without fail Jason I can tell you 
I would come home from church, and this was before cell phones and that kind of stuff. Right. So to get a phone call at home was kind of a thing, right? Hey, Brady, the phone phone's for you. I'd go get on the phone, hello, and it would be, you know, Brother Bascom, who was our stake president at the time, or it would be someone who wanted to have their sweet 16. Hey, we want you to DJ for the church, or we want you to DJ the, the sweet 16 party. And it seemed like clockwork. Without fail, you pay your tithing, you get another job. So at a very young age, I learned tithing was essential into my marketing campaign, although I didn't think that way. I just knew you pay your tithing, the Lord will take care of you. And that's been a common theme is he's always taking care of me as long as I make sure I'm focused on doing it his way. He would always uh, make sure that I had another job. And I'm assuming compared to, you know, jobs that you run now, the, the church dances probably aren't paying a huge amount, but no. it was probably a great way to start. <laughs> it was and, a great way to start. That's right. And it was uh, part of what I mentioned in, in Banning and coming from a multicultural um, upbringing, learning um, people's styles and their music, their music types. I could tell you by looking at a particular type of person, I could tell you they probably came up listening to this genre of music, and that's what allowed me to be very successful as a DJ. And I got very successful DJing all over the place. Um, to, for different types of crowds and different people. But starting at the church dances, you know, you get to, to learn all of the fun music, right? We couldn't play the raunchy, you know, uh, bad words, although sometimes I would make a mistake and let one slip and the, the <laughs> leaders would come uh, and reprimand me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, learning the fun music, the fun music that had good melody and good energy behind it really became very important as I started to go around and DJ knowing those, those songs. And I, I learned that uh, at the, at the church dances. So you're, you're hooked. I mean, this, you know, this is what you want to do pretty much. Uh, yeah. Or is this just a fun job to, to make some side cash and hopefully pay for college and, and a mission? And, and, well, it and got whatnot. pretty busy pretty quick. Um, I was very fortunate that we got busy pretty quick and I found myself loading up the truck every week, um, every weekend. And um, my, Dad was always, you know, uh, made sure that uh, I was on time, and even times he would come out and help me load up the truck to make sure I got to my my jobs on si- uh, on time and 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 stayed disciplined. But um, we got we got pretty pretty busy quick pretty quick there. It is is it so busy that you know I, I don't know is school work struggling? Is, no, is you know like- I, I obviously I played sports. Uh, uh, I played football and tennis and and basketball. Um, so I was plenty plenty busy doing sports, but. Um, me and my group of friends, and uh, that's an important part of the story is growing up in Banning, there was a group of us that were very tight niche. Um, they're all known as the Banning Boys. We all grew up together, and this was our thing to do. So anytime we wanted to have fun, um, the boys were getting together, and we were going to do some party somewhere, and they all came with. You know, There was this entourage, and they would help me set up the equipment. But anything that we were doing, we were doing together. Um, so any of our free time was spent um, you know, working and and speaking of friends and the and the tight knit, I mean, y- you went through a, a challenge. Yeah. Um, I, I believe one of your friends actually passed away. Absolutely. When you were young. Yeah. So in high school, um, I had a girlfriend who I had about for four years, and she grew up in the Baptist, um, in the Baptist church. And uh, what's funny is now her older sister is actually married to my to my older brother. So <laughs> things were, work out in funny. Yeah. Full yeah. circle. But at the time, um, that's where I, I gained my love for the scriptures because oftentimes I would get confronted by the Baptists and they would tell me all the reasons why the Mormons are crazy. And, and I had to learn my scriptures very, very quickly. 
Um, and I couldn't just learn a scripture and spit it off. I had to know the backstory and the context and everything like that to, to, to defend myself. But back in the nineties, it was like the thing they would go to, to their mutual on Wednesday night to learn how to bash against the Mormons. Oh, so man. I had to learn my, my scriptures, which ended up being a blessing later on in on my mission. But, um, the, the last time I remember seeing my girlfriend was actually, um, at general conference. She came with her sister, and she had, um, after all of our ways of, of going back and forth, she realized, hey, you know what? I don't like that they teach us to contend. I really um, like your answers and the things that you presented from the Bible. And um, she said, I want to give this a different look, and started coming to church along with her older sister, who actually ended up converting and, and, and marrying my older brother. But the last time I saw her was in at the beginning of April for general conference, and she died on on. Um, I believe April 3rd of 1998, but she was in a car accident um, coming down the, the hill where they lived uh, to come hang out with us during um, mm. uh, spring break. So that was a really tough time, a really, really tough time. But um, as I look back, um, I think the greatest lessons of my life l- were learned during that tragedy. Um, death is interesting. There's um, very special, tender treasures that I think are given through through tough experiences. That's where I learned, you know, pure love without judgment just real empathy but also uh, Jason I think learning to pray was um, where I found my um, my comfort was on my knees praying that was the only time I felt comfort and it just seemed like I was never going to get over the heartache it just kept going on and on but when I would pray that I um, would no longer feel um, the hurt and learning to communicate with my father in heaven was essential into ever getting over so um I, you know, you can't spend your whole life on your knees. So I had to learn how to carry a prayer with me and, and talk with him all the time throughout the day. And and then it learned into if I was going to be talking th- to him throughout the day, suddenly ideas would come, ideas to, to go help somebody or take care of somebody. And, uh, you know, I went and turned that, that hurt into helping uh, my friends. And there was definitely some friends that were struggling during, during that time. And because of that, um, many of my friends that uh, – were struggling, ended up going on missions themselves. And really that death was the turning point to um, all the success in my life because I ended up serving a mission and uh, many of my friends went on missions. Um, but it's interesting uh, how something so tragic can turn into a positive. Where, where does this, you know, you're 16, 17 years old, old, old during this time. Uh, I think back at my 16 and 17, I probably didn't have these basic things that I put into action like like you're describing. Where where does the desire to want to put some of these principles into action come from? For, for sure. Um, interesting enough, I, I remember always getting impressions, even when I was young. There's only one thing I remember from, from my baptism when I was eight. And I remember my mom telling me, you're like a stoplight. You go from red to green. When you get the idea, green light, you go. And that's the only thing I remember from my baptism. And I think uh, from a young age, just wanting to do things and, and getting excited about a vision and, and, and making it come to life. But I think the turning point was probably there at that death of my, of my girlfriend when I learned to really pray and communicate with my Heavenly Father. He had a slew of things that he wanted me to do that I was not aware of. And if I would communicate with him, he would tell me. And uh, because I was vulnerable and being willing to open and listen for comfort, the ideas started to come. And you need to do this. You need to go visit this person. You need to help this person. You need to go here and there. And I remember even in high school, 
knowing that I needed to do these things and feeling very strongly about them. So you do it. And then when you do it and you see the result, you realize, hey, there's an interaction here, there's a transaction that's going on. And it pretty soon it turned into a testimony that you know, he was talking to me and I needed to act. And you go on to serve a, a mission in Guatemala, as you Guatemala. said. Now, was the mission ever in question? Because, you know, you, you're running what is, 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 is becoming a successful business. And, you know, you could make the argument that, hey, you know, th- things are changing. And they did change because, you know, we went from, you know, the analog stage into a digital uh, during that time. And you probably lost two years of knowing what the heck the music is of the time. Yeah, there was definitely a transition. Yeah. What, what, was the mission ever in question? Or? Well, I think, I think I had a little bit of help there. I ended up going to school up in Utah um, at uh, Utah Valley State College, which is now UVU. Um, but the, I didn't get much action in Utah. I DJed up there, but I had completely lost my, my clientele. So I went up there for a year and um, things started to slow down in, in terms of the business. So when it, time, when it came time, I went up there for a year and then it was time, you know, I was 19, it turned, was time to, to serve a mission. So it, it seemed like a great alternative to get out. And so I don't think it was ever in question. Um, so in that way, it kind of gave a little bit of a pause to, to the business that slowed down a little bit that I could focus on bigger, better things. But um, and all of my friends had moved up together. We were all in Utah together, um, and we all knew that we needed to serve a mission. So I think all of us were going out together. It was not a not a question. Your mission assignment is to Guatemala, where you need to learn the gospel in, in the Spanish language. What are some of the lessons that you learn from the experiences you had that help you continue this business forward? Yeah, for being the the mission was everything. Um, if I can encourage any young man, if you're even having a question about serving a mission, do it. The mission is the reason for any good, anything good in my life. Um, I learned to love the gospel on my mission. Um, I had the absolute best mission president, uh, President uh, Rand Tolbo and Patricia Tolbo. Um, and because uh, Guatemala was kind of the center for the MTC, we had a lot of apostles that came down. Um, I remember President uh, excuse me, Elder uh, Richard G. Scott putting his hand on Sister Tobel, my mission president's wife, and saying, Elders, this is the type of woman you need to marry. You need to go home. And I remember thinking that I had in mind exactly the person who would best mimic. You know, obviously she was young, but wasn't quite the woman that my mission president's wife was. But she was just so sweet and wonderful, the most wonderful lady. And beautiful inside and out and, and and realizing that I needed to 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 follow his counsel and, and marry right but uh kind of rewind I actually met my um now wife at a church dance when we were 16 years old uh so when you were DJing or when you were a participant you know no I was not DJing that, you know, okay. that dance I think Andy Terry was actually that was his <laughs> turn luckily enough uh, so I was I was not DJing that night, and she actually asked me to dance, which was hey there, yeah, watch out. Watch <laughs> I, and I hope that when when Elder Scott placed his hand, yeah. it, it was it your wife that you pictured. I hope it was. It, it, it was okay, good. It was, <laughs> and I carried around a picture of my friends from home, and I would show people who do you, this is the person I'm, who's writing me. What do you think? They're, oh, you know, she's so beautiful. You better marry her. Where do you go? But um, that uh, that ended up coming to fruition. But on my mission is where I learned everything. Um, and this is the main thing I wanted to to talk about my mission. In Guatemala, everyone, um, I shouldn't say everyone, the literacy rate um, was about 65%. Um, Most of the people that I encountered, because I was outside of the capital and and the kind of um, smaller villages, um, the people couldn't read. 
So I had to learn how to, um, one, communicate with them. And you're not going to tell them, hey, read the Book of Mormon. They can't read. Right. So how do you describe the gospel and make it interesting to someone who can't read? Um, so I had to think about, again, here going back to the principles, how do I present the gospel at a very principle, at a note level? And putting together a visual was the way to do that. Um, I would find myself cutting out pictures in the enzyme um, quickly as I realized that was effective, that people could see pictures and a picture speaks a thousand words. I thought, well, if a picture can speak a thousand words, what could a video do? Um, so I wrote to my dad. I said, can you send me down all of the church videos that you can find and the smallest VCR that you can possibly find? This is a time of VCRs, if you can <laughs> imagine that. Not even DVDs were at this time quite yet. This was uh, in uh, early in 2001, so we hadn't quite turned over to DVDs yet. And he sent me down this little tiny VCR that I put in my backpack, and I carried this thing with me everywhere and the adapter to be able to connect it. And the one thing I didn't care, they didn't care how um, poor you were. Any house, whether it was a little tin roof, dirt floor house, they, I would always have a TV inside. That was the one thing that didn't fail in Guatemala is they always had a TV, so... I would hook up this VCR, and we would show videos, and I would show pictures that I'd cut out of the enzyme, um, and we taught the gospel that way. And it was great because all of the, the missionary discussions had kind of gone out the window that I could present the gospel in a unique way. Um, so videos and visuals were how I taught, and uh, we found ourselves constantly busy putting together events where we would do movie nights or show these videos, and there was one projector in the entire mission, um, and the mission president lent it to me and, you know, um, but when we were done, you know, I said, you know, here's it back. He goes, why don't you hold on to that? Uh, you're doing better things than we are with, with the projector. And I remember I had a mission for the rest or I had a projector for the rest of my mission. So that's kind of unique. You know, I had this little audio visual, uh, thing, <laughs> you know, equipment that I would carry around. And I remember my back always hurting cause I was carrying around way too many tapes and a VCR, uh, going and knocking on people's doors. But, um, Here's kind of a, a unique thing that, rewinding back to how we started, um, to be able to capture a song back in the day, if you if you couldn't find the record or you couldn't find the CD, if the song came on the radio and you had a tape player, you could hit record. I don't know if you guys remember that. Totally. You could hit record, and it wasn't the best quality, but you would capture the song, right? They call this dubbing, right? You could dub something. Well, um, then on my mission, taking all of these videos and compiling them down onto one video what i would do is i'd take one vcr take another vcr I'd press play on one and record on the other and i would start to cut down these little videos and i made would make compilations of videos so i'd take just the best parts and, and put them together sometimes i thought about you know that's kind of how mormon felt taking the best parts of all the different records and putting it all together in this one book that he thought was helpful so by the end of my mission i had this one tape that I would carry around and all the other elders wanted copies of it. So we'd make copies of copies and it was terrible. I remember tracking, you would have to like fix the tracking, right. the up and down arrow. But uh, these lessons that I learned as a boy ended up becoming important on my mission. But um, the audio visual um, aspect, I didn't realize the Lord was preparing me for other audio visual ventures later on in my life and doing events. Right. So, so now you have all these experiences on your mission and I know it's such a foundational piece, and I echo what you say in terms of every young man should serve serve that mission. You come home now, and you've got you know all this experience and your love of audiovisual and the power that you know it can have with people. Is college 
you're like, no way, I'm not doing college. I, I don't think that's the path for me. Yeah. Um, I, when I first came home, I went back to school. I oh, actually okay. was, yeah, I was enrolled in, in college here in, in, uh, in Southern California. But um, one of the main things I would remiss to, if I didn't mention this on my mission, was, again, um, that constant communication, learning personal revelation and not just to, to, to uh, the revelation, but to learning to act. Um, and when I came home from my mission, um, the idea came pretty strongly that school was not what I was supposed to be doing. And I remember sitting in class one day and the, the business had taken off again, as soon as I came home and got really busy. And I remember doing this business course where we were making up a mock business scenario. And, um, I remember sitting there and thinking, I'm already doing all of these things. Why, why would I go to school and have somebody tell me how to do it? And uh, taking a language course, and I was like, I already know the Spanish. Why do I need to take a Spanish course? And realizing that I had already been taught um, these things previously, you know, on the Lord's, on the, on the Lord's school. So um, school was not my, my, not my, uh, my thing to do. So anyways, I, I remember quitting and realizing that I was just going to go full-time in my business. And uh, from, from there, you know, never looked back. And it, is it still church dances? I mean, no, you've got to grow at yeah, some yeah. point. So, at so some point, uh, what yeah. time are you, you know, taking the next step up and, and, and growing this? For sure. When I came back from my mission, we started to do um, more like flyer parties. I was getting booked at, at larger events, bigger scale events. Um, and I remember, I think the biggest turning point for us was we decided to do a multi um, stake young, uh, young single adult, uh, New Year's Eve party called Genesis. And, um, we rented out a local, um, uh, amusement park, Pharaoh's Lost Kingdom in Redlands. If anyone remembers that, it's now torn it's down. It's torn down, right? Yeah, it's torn down. It's, it's a ghost down there, unfortunately. But we, uh, put out flyers and invited all of the young single adults to, to come to this. And we had, you know, a couple thousand people show up and, and we thought, well, this worked really good. What if we did this for high schools? And, we teamed up with Mothers Against Drunk Driving and made a, a good, clean event where there wasn't drugs. This was the alternative to the things that were going off, like rave parties and, and the underground scene. And we created an alternative of having high school nights at this amusement park, and we would split the, the profits with, with the amusement park, and we'd bring people in. And um, we would get, you know, over 2,000 people showing up. And um, it ended up being a very profitable venture at the time. Uh, you know, to spit 40 bucks, you know, we'd take 20, and they would take 20. Um, and we would go around and cut down plants and we would gather decorations and we would just go all out. I remember just spending all week decorating this place. One of the first events that we had was a jungle theme and we were cutting down things, putting projections up on the walls of places like Guatemala and these ruins. And, and we just decked the place out, um, with visuals and again, taking the audiovisual experiences from Guatemala and, and bring this and implementing it at amusement park and then, uh, flyering it out and people would show up and, we ended up having great success with that. And, of course, at that time, I didn't have a lot of equipment, but we would reinvest the the earnings uh, into equipment. And then, you know, I started gathering equipment and bigger sound systems and bigger lighting systems. And all, the sort, all of a sudden, we could do bigger events. And we spent more time getting contracted out after that than doing our own events. We started doing concerts and we started doing events for the schools. Um, but all of it started there. And at this point, you're now married to your wife, Teresa and probably starting to think about raising a family. For many husbands and fathers, that means being the primary income earner. So does getting a, a quote-unquote more stable job cross your mind? Or is the business at a point where you can support a family or at least has the potential 
to support a family. I remember, um, you know, obviously there was one point when I told my wife I wanted to quit work, you know, working on the side and just go full time with this. And then we started doing those flyer parties and they became a, a really big thing. So the success really took off after those, after those, um, those flyer parties. We started getting known and contracted all over the place. Um, so I was busy DJing all over the place, but not just DJing, but putting together, you know, lighting structures and, and themed events. Um, and I think what really changed was um, bringing on some of our first employees. My wife actually was able to stop working and could just focus on becoming a mom. We had our first kid. And then one employee turned into two and three and four. And we bought our house actually in the recession um, in 2008 when everything kind of fell apart. We grew during that time. And I think it was because of the type of events that we were doing. Um, We grew and we bought this house that had a a back building on it. And um, it was about maybe a thousand square feet. So we had to learn how to get really organized with all the equipment that we had accumulated. We had, uh, luckily it was very tall, so we had big pallet racks in there. We had to really get organized, and we had five guys back-to-back working in this upstairs loft inside this garage on the back end of my property. And we look back and laugh now, but we spent, I think, um, five years in this garage, and there was one point when one of our suppliers came out and visited us, and they're like, man, what? You guys are working out of a garage? What's going on? And and he was surprised to find out that we were doing $2 million at that time. And I think it was, you know, just uh, after the recession in a little garage. And there was just five guys back to back just going at it. But, I mean, we were uh, gigging like crazy all over the place. Um, and But I think that was the turning point is when I, I realized I needed to build a team. We're, we're sitting in the, in the middle of your, of your current warehouse right now. Oh. And there's probably, you know, millions of dollars of equipment all around us. How do you know when to invest and to grow? You, you know, you're sitting in this garage. We're, yeah. we're here in a bigger warehouse now. You, you know, at, at some point in there, you had to take that that step of faith, if you will, to invest into something bigger. You need to invest into more things. How do you know when to to take action, as you kind of talked about in the, in the beginning? This came on my on my mission. I would get a distinct impression on how to do something, um, how to put together a video, how to put together a visual, how to do it, and then doing it and seeing seeing the result. As you put together events, um, and this is really the theme of what I'm talking about, is everything starts at a principal level at the basics. As I'm producing these large-scale events, there's there's logistics, there's process, and you have to start at the basic levels um, I'm putting these things together for it to happen. You have a very tight timeline of when you can get into this place and you can organize it and bring in all the vendors and create and make something something happen. So as the ideas would come, Jason, uh, on when to invest, I would see it. I would know the need that we would have um, in our, our current, you know, um, growth. And I would know, you know, what things to invest in. Um, so I think that communication, you know, always talking in prayer and trying to receive inspiration there it seems like there's never been a, a gap in that i've always known you know what to do and how to do it um and when i don't know and i can't see it ahead you know i wait for the answer and it's like I, I don't i can't clearly see the vision yet so i wait or i do something you know different until it's time and timing has been really important in all of this you know there's times to 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 take action sometimes it's not time and you need to wait until the lord tells you as i've listened to you I've heard a few words come out a few times, ideas, yeah. promptings, inspiration. You're talking 
with these ideas and you're always giving credit back to the Lord for, for helping instill some of these ideas into you. I think that's a hard thing for some people though. Recognizing is that me or is that someone else? Is that inspiration from on high? How, how are you, I mean, is that just a spiritual gift or, or how do, how do you know that what you're receiving is inspiration from, from the Lord? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I remember times on my mission where I could feel the moment that the spirit was not with me and knowing that I needed to get it back quick, that I couldn't see so clearly. Um, I think that's still the case. There's times where I need, I know I need to get the spirit back because so I can see that vision, that third eye or the, your mind's mind's eye that to be able to see things is, um, is really important as you're building events and forcing how to do it and how to put together structures, these lighting structures and these staging structures and executing, you have to be able to see it, the vision. And if you're not in tune, you can't see. Um, now, besides just uh, having the spirit is to have the spirit, you have to be doing the right things. Um, generally, if I'm helping somebody or doing uh, something good for my employees or, or helping mentor somebody, uh, I'm generally, you know, in, in tune to be able to uh, do things for the right reasons, right? So um, the communication can flow there. Um, as I look back, I think also looking back and reflecting has been really important. You realize that you've been guided. Um, I don't know that we're that smart and we know that the game of, of uh, the game of life's chessboard that well, we realize that we're not in the driver's seat. We think we are, but um, he's pushing us and nudging us into the ways that we need to go. And if we need a hard nudge, he'll give it to us. And sometimes it, we have to learn the hard way. And I remember learning those failures right. were, were um, probably the biggest correctors of knowing where the inspiration was coming from. But you needed to learn this voice, the, the, in, the voice of inspiration from on high, because your business is built on getting people together. It, yep. it is on large events where you can help connect and and you know visually stimulate and audio stimulate uh, individuals, but. We had a little thing called COVID, yeah. you know, that happened. And I'm sure that negatively impacted you and your normal business tremendously. Absolutely. COVID was an interesting time. And I'll sum it up like this. My business is a logistic business. We produce, it's a production company. So we have to produce and come up with a plan on how to take an idea, a concept, and bring it to fruition in a very tight time frame with a team with a lot of equipment. So we have to start at the fundamental levels every single week and over and over. And we're, we usually do about 10 events every single, every single week. Um, so starting at the basic levels, coming up with a plan, putting the production together and seeing it all the way through is always for the result of people being happy. And during COVID that all went away. We couldn't gather, we couldn't celebrate. So a lot of our, our, opportunities to to make people happy you know just disappeared in two days i remember picking up the phone left and right cancel 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 in march of uh, 2020 i think it was march 15th and 16th we saw you know millions of dollars go out of our company cancel cancel graduations company events corporate events some of these things were planned for christmas you know and even the ones that were in the future were canceling 
and quickly I realized this is bad. You know, we had at the, at the time maybe about 25 employees and going to all of them and telling them, I'm sorry, we're going to have to lay everybody off, but it's intentional. We, we need you guys to go get unemployment and um, we'll do our best to, to try and, you know, take care of you um, as best as we can. But um, we need to um, see the writing on the wall that this is, this is bad news. Um, rewind the tape just a little bit and how, again, how the Lord knows his chess game ahead of us and we can't foresee everything. I had since moved out of that little garage and we have a big warehouse now here in the city of Beaumont. And I had this undeveloped land where we parked all of our trucks and stuff for this big dirt lot with that building on the back end. And I needed to do something with it. So we thought um, in 2019, we should turn it into a venue. And if things ever got tough again, like in the recession, we could do, you know, weddings, <laughs> which we didn't do weddings and smaller events anymore. So I thought we could always bring back the weddings and some of the smaller things. Um, those still happen in recession. Um, we were doing concerts and corporate events. So all of the things that went belly up in the last recession, I realized I was doing those things. I was now the big fish and I needed to do small stuff again and be nimble. Um so we built the the back end of my house into a wedding venue and or not just a wedding venue but a venue that could host weddings or something small um at the end of 2019 uh my brother um second oldest in, in the family committed suicide and that was a really a really tough time for my family but immediately the the lesson that I had learned from um the death early in my life is that you go to work you know forget yourself and go to service and we started to put together a funeral um, that could host, you know, a big group of people being a big family. And from this area, we knew a lot of people would show up. Uh, my brother was not active in the church. Uh, and many of his, you know, uh, colleagues and friends and uh, students, he was a professor, PhD uh, level f- professor. Um, he had a lot of friends that would want to come. And we knew that the church was probably not the place that would invite um, all these people out. So we used... My then just barely finished. I was just finishing the electrical on this now venue. Um, and the first event was my brother's my brother's funeral. And we had about 500 uh, people show up. If you want to see some of these pictures, you can go to the bend. The bend events, our house is on a hard bend in the road. So we called it the bend because everyone's like, oh, you guys are the place on the bend, right? So it just kind of stuck. But the bend events on, on Instagram, you can see some photos. Um, the very first photo with all the umbrellas was actually that event for my brother's funeral. So that was the very first event that we had was my brother's funeral. So looking back, I didn't realize what these, this place was going to be meant for. But again, I remember looking at the dirt and having very distinct impressions, where to put electrical outlets, how to do this, how to do that, how to hook it up for for future RV use, how to have, um, the the lights a, a certain way how to put the fire pit in a certain way putting synthetic turf all these different impressions and I could tell you a list of uh, a thousand of them and how they all uh, ended up being for a very particular use later on but we started to do events in my backyard and we did a total of eighty throughout the pandemic every single event that we had in that backyard was meaningful the people who came and sat down on the swings that we had there. We had these, this hexagon arch that I built with six swings, porch swings on it. I would meet with them, and I knew that I was inviting people into my home that I didn't know. And I know, you know, how events can turn into, so I asked to be guided to the right people. And I would sit with them, and the moment that I knew this is the right person, I could feel it, that you're supposed to be here. And I said, we felt like we were guided, and he said, Brady, 
you have no idea these things that you built these this arch this wooden thing this uh, wooden um you know uh, pergola or this view right here was exactly what we had envisioned but we got canceled during covid from our other venue and you have it all in one location my response to them is i know i know and they're like no 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 you don't know there's this is like it's perfect it's so perfect is that this was built for you this was pre-thought not for me i couldn't see it but somebody knew that they needed to be happy and that's been my business it's been just a platform to bring happiness for people but there's a process to get to happiness. There's a platform that has to be built. Someone has to have the vision. Someone has to act. But the direction comes from our Heavenly Father. But COVID was an absolute game changer. Probably was the worst, the best and worst thing ever for my business. Best being why, and worst is obvious, but best being why. Well, um, suddenly I had this new new revenue stream, right? Now, once our business came back, now there's we got this other thing that now generates, you know, uh, income. Um, but uh, it taught us uh, some very valuable lessons. Um, I think the greatest blessing that came out of COVID, um, I had to do events with my children. I have a 15-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 9-year-old boy. A 15-year-old girl, 12-year-old girl, and a 9-year-old boy, and my wife. Before, dad would always go to work, and they didn't know, you know, what I do. Really quickly, the events are now at our home, and they have to help. So they're building the fire. They're driving the golf cart. They're taking the trashes out. They're setting up the lights. They're putting on the linens. They're decorating. Um, they're doing all these all these things, and they're working from 6 in the morning when the bride wants to show up to get her makeup done. We're there getting them waters, getting, you know, whatever, taking out the trashes, cleaning the restrooms, whatever we got to do, all the way until everyone leaves. You know, the wedding would end at 10, and cleanup would go until 12, 1 o'clock. And we had to be there, you know, on duty that entire time. My kids had to learn how to work long, hard, um, but very fulfilling, rewarding, uh, you know, events. The It brought a lot of my employees um, into a very personal level at my home um, where we had some very unique experiences together, um, learning that w I would do anything, even put my home and my family on call or on display or uh, at, in service to be able to support them and take care of them. Um, and the exposure that came from that, I mean, so many more people know about us that when COVID ended, we were getting calls left and right because everyone knew us from the bend. Now we were that place that stayed open through the pandemic. Sorry, you guys are those guys, you know, freedom america right. Right? <laughs> especially in this area yeah especially out in this area so we started getting events in in very different ways because of that um we also met uh, some new members of our um team that now work at my business that have become very very dear friends of ours the coordinators that lost their businesses that came and now are coordinating for me here um so there's a lot of good that, that came from from covid because of that but the lessons that we learned and the reliance on the Lord is, I think, the most important thing in realizing we're not in the driver's seat. It's it's his plan. We just need to do what he says and build the platform, and he'll bring the people and, and bring bring the people their happiness. Now the, now, the Lord has placed you in people's past to bless their lives. What about the opposite? Ha, has the Lord placed people in, in your life that have blessed you? Yeah. And... Uh, 
I think that one's a little more emotional for me, but I'm so grateful, Jason. And I'm so grateful for those that help me. I have an amazing team. I have the most amazing people that work for me. Um, when I was going through COVID, losing everything, losing my company, uh, the, at least the income, and I had a helper friend who immediately came and reached out to us on social media and said, hey, I like to do events, and I'm very kind. That was a weird um, resume. I like to do events, and I'm kind. You know, those aren't the typical things you'd put on a resume. And I, I could feel myself slipping that I was becoming overwhelmed and frustrated and that I needed to remember that I needed to just be kind, that people were coming to my home and I needed to be able to welcome them into my house, right? But I was so overwhelmed with all of the responsibilities of producing a wedding. If you've ever done a wedding, it's the worst. There's so <laughs> many things to do. <laughs> One part, I think I helped with food once and that was, that was enough. <laughs> there's, there's so many things to do for a bride and she's got amazing visions and you have to produce it on a shoestring budget. But this gal came and worked for me. Um, her name is uh, Courtney Ludwig now. And she was such a blessing. Um, and helped me know that I need to stay happy and positive and kind through the process. But going through that COVID time, I realized coming out of it that I was um, starting to become depressed. And I'm not a, I don't struggle with mental illness. Never have. But going through that, and I think there's because there was so much, and it was at my house, and I was trying to save everybody's situation and help them get married and save everyone's livelihoods and their families and even my own, that there is suddenly this tremendous pressure. And um, if it wasn't for the good friends, for the, the good team members here, um, I wouldn't have overcome that. So it's a it's kind of a, a tender spot in my heart as 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 much as you know I can help someone else. There's so many more people that are always helping me, and it's not for me; it's for a bigger cause, you know. So um, I love my team, love my guys. Everyone works so hard and brings so many things to the table. But um, really, you know, uh, there's been some special people in my life. And I appreciate you sharing that and being vulnerable with it because you know I think a lot of people who may not know you or work with you would just see like, look, Brady Westbrook, he's the owner of Props AV. He does millions of dollars in sales. Look at all this equipment. He does so many events. Everything's great in his life. Uh, no problem. But in the reality is, is we're just, we're all still humans. We're all yeah. still uh, children of our Heavenly Father. We're, we're brothers and sisters. And um, those people who can uplift us, I mean, those, are, those are special people in our lives. As we've gone through this journey, um, of your story of props AV starting as, as a 16 year old till, uh, till, till now when you, when you think about the totality of everything and how you, you've grown it, when you look at success, how would you measure success in your life? Absolutely. Success is what you're doing. The purpose of what you're doing. Um, there's companies that are much bigger than, than ours. Um, that do, you know, crazy large events. And someone may say, well, that, that company is more successful financially. Sure, they're more successful. Um, for me, if the finances isn't the success, it's what you're doing 
I decided to be a DJ. What good am I doing? Well, at the time, the music was just to make people happy. Then it turned into, well, I can make more people happy with lights, and then I could do uh, bigger events. I can make people happy. And then it became, um, well, the people that came to help me produce these events, they need help, and they they need to be happy too. Um, that's r- the real purpose of props. It's not events. I always tell the guys, audiovisual is not what we're about here. It's what we do, and we happen to have a really cool thing to do, but it's about the people. So when that's the case, and you know that the plan's bigger, our job is to try and just represent Christ as best as we can. This is all just a reflection, you know, of someone that wants us all to be happy all the time. And in the process is trying to teach us those notes like A, B, C, D, and E to make beautiful music for everyone. Um, so it's about the people. So that's the real ju- judge of, of success, I would say. And if they're happy and they're being fed, um, both spiritually and physically, I think that's the success. Our thanks to Brady Westbrook for joining us today. Be sure to check out his company's website, www.propsav.com, to see the full menu of his services and the incredible events they put on. And as he mentions, the venue in his backyard can be seen on Instagram using the handle at the Bend Events. And while you're there, you can connect with us too using the handle at Fortune and Faith Podcast. Check out our new website, www.fortuneandfaithpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. New episodes come out every second and fourth Monday of the month.